Welcome back. Thanks for listening to Longevity Now, the place for all your news and views of life extension from around the world. Some listeners might remember that Longevity used to do some big matching fundraisers very successful for about four or five years. Now, even though Longevity no longer does those big matching fundraisers, there are still a lot of places on the internet, a lot of organizations raising money through specific fundraisers throughout the year. And one of those that just cropped up in the last few months, Lifespan.io. They've had some success so far. If you'd like to learn a little bit more about Lifespan.io, listen in to the podcast and hear from a couple of the founders, Keith Comito and Oliver Medvedic. And now I would like to welcome to the podcast, Keith Comito and Oliver Medvedic of Lifespan.io. Great. Thanks for having us. Yeah, wonderful to have you on the program here. Uh, We're talking about raising money for life extension research. You founded lifespan.io. Give the audience just a little brief overview of your operation. We actually, a couple of years ago, founded a a broader nonprofit called the Life Extension Advocacy Foundation, or LEAF, and lifespan.io was kind of our first project of that. So the main reason we got into doing this crowdfunding platform is we figured that even though there's Indiegogo and Kickstarter and things like that, we figured there could be a real benefit to sort of centralizing all the longevity research efforts, both in that you can provide more first-party support. You know, we actually help the projects and help them craft their campaigns. And since, unless you're like a chosen one on Kickstarter or something like that, you're not getting any organic traffic from the site itself. But with a site like this, people, especially people who are passionate about life extension, you know, they know when they they go to our site, the projects they see are going to be directly relevant to their interests. And we felt that could be powerful, not just to fundraise, but also to build up a grassroots movement to help uh, supply that movement with a continual call to action. So it's not just talk. You can feel like you're actually doing something and you are. People in the life extension advocacy uh, business often have an interesting backstory. How did each of you originally become interested in or find out about the life extension movement? Me personally, I've been involved professionally since my graduate days, since I worked with Dr. David Sinclair back in Harvard Medical School for my PhD. And I was working on looking at pathways that regulate longevity in response to calorie restriction um, using yeast as a model organism. So this is something that, you know, I've been really uh, interested in from a scientific perspective for a long time. And this is something that Keith and a number of other people happen to share a common interest. And we met actually through another nonprofit that I helped co-found called Genspace. And this is an open community biotech laboratory in Brooklyn. Uh, it's still there. And it tracks a whole number of different people for on, an, you know, just for a variety of reasons. But everybody basically shares biotech as a common interest. And uh, it just turned out that I bumped into Keith and we were like, hey, we share this common interest and we've been talking about it for a long time. And the question now was, how do we leverage all of our strengths to do something um, more proactive? And to one thing led to another and we bumped into a whole bunch of other people. And then we started to basically meet around tables in a variety of different locations in Manhattan. Okay. What is, what successful fundraising campaigns have you done so far? So we have currently have two that are already uh, in the books. Uh, the first one was from SENS uh, with their MitoSENS team working on backing up mitochondrial DNA and the nuclear DNA, in which they just reported some actual success in that endeavor. So that was good. They were looking for initially $30,000, and 
and they ended up raising over $45,000, which was great. Wow. And uh, the second one that just completed was the uh, Major Mouse Testing Program that's affiliated with the International Longevity Alliance, and they were raising funds to basically look at combinations of uh, senolytics compounds, and they raised over $50,000 above their goal. And so. what is your current primary fundraising effort? Uh, so right now we are uh, helping to fund a new project from SENS, from the OncoSENS team, the cancer team. So basically they are trying to find a, a cure or find methods to attack cancers that use alternative lengthening of uh, telomeres or alt cancers. And the reason why uh, you might just ask yourself, well, okay, that's just general cancer. Is that really like, you know, aging research or longevity research? And the reason why it's a critical component there is that you know, any quote-unquote regular cancer that uses normal, you know, telomerase or whatever to extend uh, telomeres, uh, they could always pivot to use ALT in the course of therapy. So in the course of a total cancer therapy, which is part of a total aging therapy, you need to have that piece of the puzzle ticked off. So we, that's why we feel it's important as an aging project. And it seems most of your fundraising efforts are for SENS-related rejuvenation efforts, or at least a couple of them have been so far. Is this a matter of convenience, a matter of need, like SENS is in the most need of funding, or that you think SENS is the best for life extension? Yeah, I was just going to say that uh, we, you know, we've received a, a large um, variety of projects that we still are in a process of setting up the campaigns for. Two of them are basically waiting in the wings right now, and SENS just happened to be the first one because they had their, you know, they had their material together, and we, you know, we weren't necessarily anticipating a, a second SENS campaign um, so soon right after this one. It just so happened that they had another one lined up, and it just met our criteria. So we basically, you know, it ticked up all the boxes, like uh, Keith said. So. It just happened to be that this is now launched and, you know, it's it's a sense project. But there was no, uh, you know, other than that, there's no other reason why, you know, sense happened to be, again, submitting a project. Not that I know of, at least not from our end. Yeah. And to kind of follow that up, one thing that we wanted to really focus on going forward or one of the core like principles of what we intend to do is that we don't want to be siloed to any particular team or any particular structure of, of how we think aging is. Basically, we want our criteria to be like, is the project related to aging? Is the science sound? Is there, you know, a review board? Is everything seemingly up and up? And, and that's pretty much it. So we, you know, one of the projects that are waiting in the wings that Oliver had mentioned is one from uh, David Sinclair's lab. So we think that will be actually very positive to have uh, a credible project from SENS right next to a good project from David Sinclair's lab and one from George Church's lab. It'll, it'll send a powerful message that, hey, you know, there was kind of fracturing in the early days of this movement, but now everyone is serious about the science and coming together, and that's all that matters is driving this technology forward. So you're raising some nice amounts of money through crowdfunding. But it is still small in comparison to, say, a typical university lab or some other high-profile efforts like Calico. Why is it still so hard to raise big money for SENS-type rejuvenation research? You know, I've been in the advocacy business for over 15 years now, and I figured the money would be rolling in by now, by the millions. And yet, uh, real rejuvenation research, bioengineering seems to still have to scrape by. Why is that? 
I well, I'm sure Keith has his own views. I've got my views being, you know, uh, being in the biotechnology sector for a long time. And it is frustrating to me. I, I don't think it's just rejuvenation and aging research per se. I think it's a much broader problem in biotech in general. Uh, for example, there's this technology out that a lot of people heard of called CRISPR-Cas9, which basically is used to edit genes. I mean, huge, phenomenal, um, you know, discovery, important technology. There's a lot of pros and cons to using it in human genome editing, but very, very powerful. And I think Caribou Biotech, which is a company started by one of the principals, Jennifer Doudna, who no doubt is going to get a Nobel Prize in my opinion, I think they raised something on the order of like $68 million, which sounds like a lot. But when you look at like WhatsApp and they've raised like, what, $2 billion? And, and then, then you look at the repercussions from both and I'm like, what's going on here, right? There's like some major disconnect taking place. And I just think that's just the way the market is arranged where basically people want their return on investment like tomorrow, right? So the only way you're going to do that is if you invest in something that gives you ad revenue. And anything that's going to do anything else will take a little longer. You know, this is just my cynical point of view. Just kind of falls by the wayside. Um, I think that's one problem. There's probably many other problems, but I do see that not just in, in longevity research for that reason. Do you think a part of it has to do with psychology? I often thought that as well, that the minute you mention becoming younger, <laughs> rejuvenating yeah. the human body, then people have uh, resistance to that. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, that's what I was going to piggyback on what Oliver was saying uh, right off the bat. Is, yes, everything Oliver said about biotech in general is true, but when you're talking about aging, there's almost too many sort of difficulties to mention, right? A lot of them have to do with cognitive biases, if you want to talk about psychology, right? People are proven to, to be very poor at judging how they're going to feel about things in the future, right? You can prove that over and over again. So, you know, when you ask someone, do you want to live 50 more years? Uh, most people's knee-jerk reaction is no, right? But if you are currently 89 years old and you're super healthy, and then someone asks you, do you want, you want to live to be 90? You're damn right. Most people are saying yes, right? But when you're, you know, 40 or whatever, and you ask that question, you're like, oh no, you have all these images of like being super decrepit and everyone you know and love is dead. And, you know, so it's hard to think about the future like that. So one thing that I think is important for our movement to do is to not demonize people that aren't immediately on board with this idea as idiots, right? To acknowledge that these are, uh, you know, credible, legitimate sort of reservations that you can address, you know, by, by bringing up facts and talking about how, well, you know, if we get all these therapies in place, you're, you're actually not going to be decrepit. You won't have Alzheimer's. You won't have cancer. That's how you get to live longer. You know, you can convince people of these things, but you need to acknowledge that their knee-jerk response there is, based on their current information, logical, and you have to handle it that way. Now uh, that you've been in the fundraising effort since last year, August, for Lifespan.io, what would you say is the key to running a successful fundraiser? Is there something maybe you discovered that you didn't know that helps promote or get the word out or raise more money? I'll take this uh, to start and then Oliver, you can fill in any blanks. Um, so I, what I will say is obviously no brainer here. Social media is huge, right? But it's all about how you go into the process uh, that we try to coach our, our campaigns uh, kind of beforehand. So here's a couple of like inside baseball tips, right? So if you're going to launch uh, a campaign, you want to raise X amount of money, uh, you know, let's say $60,000, right? 
if you can, it is ideal to have about 30% of those funds, like almost absolutely promised from friends and family and supporters, right? So that when the campaign launches, you can hit the ground running because it's all, like you said before, psychology. People see things, uh, you know, see the bar filling up and go, oh, you know, I want to join that winning team. This is going to make it, right? But if you launch the campaign, it just sits there with $5 raised for like a few, like a month or something like that. It just hurts the move, hurts the momentum. And, and that's so real. So another way to kind of help that is you definitely need a ground game. You want to have a team of at least like five passionate supporters or volunteers who are going to hit social media like animals every day because of all the way all the algorithms work like in Facebook, like if a post gets five likes in the first 30 seconds compared to like two, it'll radiate to much more people. So it's a lot of kind of gamification and it's kind of like unfortunate that you have to like play that game, but that's how it works, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oliver, you have anything to add there? Uh, I think you hit upon the, the major the major points that it is a lot of work. You know, even if you you think you might already have a word of mouth and people you know know who you're who you are and who you're about, you you still have to post uh, updates very regularly in your campaign. You have to let people know that you know things are still moving forward. You have to always engage with uh, with the public. Um, it's this kind of daily engagement and weekly engagement um, using primarily Facebook. That plays a big role in, in uh, the success of a campaign. All right. And lastly, is there anything else uh, you would like to promote about Lifespan.io or anything you'd like to mention about any uh, current fundraising efforts? Well, definitely, uh, you know, if, if your listeners have not checked out the OncoSense campaign, definitely uh, check that out. And uh, like Oliver mentioned, we'll have more campaigns running in the future. But uh, this is just kind of like an open sort of uh, you know, request out to the ether. Um, one thing that I learned uh, when I started on this life extension mission, you know, back talking to Aubrey de Grey like 10 years ago or whenever his book came out, right, is uh, never assume that people in quote-unquote power or uh, that seem like they have it all together, like sense or whatever, like don't assume that they have everything together. Don't assume that they don't need help. And that includes us. Like, a few volunteers would go a long way. <laughs> so if anybody wants to actually get involved, like there are places for that. So feel free to reach out. Uh, it would be very useful. And uh, the benefits are, are huge for even just a few people really, you know, who are passionate about it. I think we're right now, since me being in graduate school and back in 1999, I think, I think we're, we're really scientifically much, much, much closer to having a, a deep understanding, a deep theoretical groundwork for aging and longevity than we've ever been. Um, I think uh, there's a lot of pieces of the puzzle are coming together, and I think we're going to see some really exciting things in the next several years. Well, Keith Camito and Oliver Medvedic of Lifespan.io, thanks for joining me on the Longevity Now podcast. Thanks a Thank lot for you. having us. Slowly but surely, it seems more money is flowing into rejuvenation research. If you have a project that you'd like funded, or if you've got a little spare cash to put towards life extension research, check out lifespan.io and see how they might be able to help out. Until next time, I'm Justin Lowe.